Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast. We discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we have a great interview with Len Testa from Touring Plans and the Disney Dish Podcast. So don't want to take up too much time um, before because it's a a great interview. I had a lot of fun talking to Len, so kind of want to get into that as quickly as possible. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, we we talk a lot of uh, really great stuff. Uh, Talk Food and Wine Festival, kind of the, the history and the impact that Fast Pass had in the theme parks and and planning kind of what the Disney Genie app coming out you know may uh, do for the future of fast pass kind of when park hopping makes sense and Len has a it may be controversial take on overrated lands in the parks so you definitely <laughs> want to stay that's towards the end um, but if you're not familiar with with Len Testa he is co-host of the Disney Dish podcast. He is president of Touring Plans and co-author of The Unofficial Guide uh, at Disney. So I, I don't think he sleeps. Like he's like the Al- he's like the Alexander Hamilton of Disney. Yes, he's almost like the Rock too of Disney. <laughs> he doesn't sleep. And, and I only mention that cuz I do want to give a shout out to good friend of the show, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes, hello. Hello Dwayne. He uh, We're on the first name basis. I want to I want to congratulate him because he bought the XFL. And so <laughs> Everybody knows The Rock is a huge fan of this podcast, and so we yep. just want to we want to congratulate him for yeah, that. Yeah, it's so. it's interesting that he hasn't done an interview yet, you know, with how big of a fan he is. But yeah, we'll know. have to have him on sometime. Yeah. All right, but I do want to touch on uh, a you couple. You know, when our schedules match up. Yes, but I do want to touch on a couple things, uh, just real quick. Um, before we do get into the interview, one housekeeping note: we have launched a private Facebook group. So for fans of the show, you know we've, we've have always had the Facebook page out there, um, but we launched a a private Facebook group so we can kind of interact um, more with you know fans of the podcast and the YouTube channel. So be sure to check that out. It's called Enchanted Ears Family. It's much like the Fast and the Furious family, which is less <laughs> Vin Diesel. Um, so. And less rock. Isn't yes, he in those two? Yes, the rock's in it too. <laughs> or Dwayne. I remember we're on so, first name basis. So that's right. So be, be sure to check that out. But the one piece of Disney news I did want to touch on because I think it is a huge piece of Disney news that came out this week is that Disney will be releasing Mulan on September 4th as a premium rental. Though it doesn't seem like it's a rental. It seems like you own it, but it's it's $29.99. You have to be a subscriber of Disney Plus and you get to keep it as long as you're a subscriber. So it's a little bit more than these premium rentals. This is a very interesting strategy that they yeah. are releasing this because in the US it's on Disney Plus, but in China and in other parts of the world where movie theaters are open, it is going to be re- released theatrically. So it's kind of this blended approach. Yeah, and there's a lot of buzz about this, uh, a lot of controversy kind of over it, releasing it in this ma- manner. A lot of people are, are bummed out because they're like, hey, I already paid for Disney Plus. But you have to also think about the fact that the movie, I mean, Disney spent a lot of money making this movie and they have to try to recuperate some of that. So they weren't, you know, making this to just release it to Disney Plus. It's not like a, hey, we want you to subscribe to us. So, you know, subscribe and then you're going to get Mulan. It's like a, we were trying to make a lot of money from this. And now they're trying to just recoup some of that cost. But if you think about it, like, you know, Joe and I, there's two of us. If we go to the movie theater, what, what are movie theater tickets, Joe? Like... I mean, it depends. Depends where you live, but I mean, they could be, you know, ten, twelve dollars, right? De- depending on when you go. So, I mean, if it's twelve dollars for us to go see a movie, it's twenty four dollars already. We own the movie now, supposedly. So then, that's actually worth six bucks. Plus, we can. I mean, we could have whatever kind of food we want. Yeah, I have heard a lot of people talk about this. I think the 
at least from what I've seen, the overwhelming response has been negative, I think, from mm-hmm. Disney fans. And a lot of people are, hey, I already subscribed to Disney Plus. Why do I have to pay an additional $30? You know, I think to your point, that is that is the comment. But then I do think there's a lot of people that kind of what you just said. If Hey, if I went to a movie theater, it's going to cost me a lot more than $30. So th- this is a decent value. But I do kind of see both sides of it. You know, Disney's trying to you know, recoup money. They they want to they want to release this movie. It's still not necessarily, you know, safe to do so. A lot of th- movie theaters still really aren't open in the United States and some of the other markets where they're releasing this. But I do see the other side of it because it's like, hey, I've already subscribed to Disney Plus. Why do I have to pay extra? It's yeah. not like some of these other video on demand rentals or like if you're buying a digital download like on an iTunes where you have it forever. This you have to keep your Disney Plus subscription to keep it. There's still a lot of questions still around this. The one is, you know, how long is it available as this premium download before it just becomes on Disney Plus for free? I mean, is it going to have, you know, a three-month kind of window like it would typically have in theaters and then it'll go off of, you know, Disney Plus for six months and then it's just on there for free? Is it never going to be on there for free? Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but it... It, there, there is a lot of questions about that because if it's six months, I think you might have a lot of people waiting. I'll just wait the six months for it. Yeah. And it does open it up to some really weird like gray areas where it's like, okay, so if they, they're releasing these movies now and then they're not putting them on Disney Plus when they're available, why am I subscribing to Disney Plus? So it definitely does kind of you know, give you some questions about what the purpose of Disney Plus is if they're not going to give you the content when it's available. Yeah, but I do think looking at the finances of it i think it kind of makes sense for disney to do so you know typically movie studios get like between 40 and 60 percent of box office ticket sales so let's just say you know they get half uh roughly so it's disney they probably get all 60 well (laughs) let's just say half because in different markets it's different so mulan has a 200 million dollar budget so in order to recoup 200 million dollars at 30 dollars they would have to get 6.7 million uh, households to buy this, which they announced Disney Plus has over 60 million subscribers. So they a little over 10%. Now, in order to make, let's say, $350 million on it, which would be equivalent to a worldwide box office of like 700 million, because again, mm-hmm. they're getting 50% back. So 700 million is, is pretty good. These live action movies have been getting a billion dollars. So, yeah. I mean, that would actually be pretty low. They only have to do 11.6 million purchases of it. So I think you can kind of see where Disney's coming from. They really don't have to have a runaway success, I feel like. I mean, they right. have to get maybe 10 to 20% of Disney Plus subscribers to buy this. And again, it's going to open in theaters in markets like China, where that's a you know a really big market. So they could you know still get some box office there. So I think it makes sense for them. I think it'll be interesting how successful it is because Disney has said this is kind of a one-off. But I think if it does really well, do we see them doing more movies like this? Or and it depends on you know when theaters can open. So it, it is really interesting and. We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it, you know, in a couple of months here. But yeah, and one other final thing. I mean, Disney did just report a financial loss, which is very rare for the Disney company. So it does definitely lend some 
some uh, credence to the fact that they're doing this. You know, again, they're trying to recuperate some of the money they're losing from the parks not being able to have capacity from you know, the movie theaters and the movies that they were supposed to come out with not coming out. So, yeah. We yeah, they're a- just trying to get cash at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of talked about that they weren't going to do this before, but just with theaters not opening, they just they need yeah. to recoup this money at this yeah. point. So. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't have anticipated when they made that comment that this was going to last as long as it has. Right. So, all right. So let's get into uh, the interview with Len. Yay. All right. So we are happy to be joined by Len Testa from the Disney Dish podcast. He's also president of touringplans.com and the co-author of the unofficial guide. Uh, Len, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with touringplans.com. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Um, sure. So it's a uh, it's a website that helps people save time and money uh, when visiting theme parks. And it came out of my master's thesis, which was in computer science. Um, the summer before I went to graduate school, I was standing in line for a great movie ride with my uh, twin sister, and we waited two hours in the sun for a great movie ride. And I thought to myself, man, there's got to be a better way to, to do this. Like, why do, I, why do I have to wait two hours in line? So uh, I went back to my thesis advisors and I said, um, I want to write this computer program where you tell it the rides you want to ride in Walt Disney World. And it tells you the order in which you should ride the rides to minimize your wait in line, right? So I'm okay with waiting two hours if two hours is the absolute minimum, minimum um, that I can wait, right? If that's mm-hmm. the best I can do, then that's fine, right? But if there's a better way, I want to know what the better way is. Um, so my thesis advisors asked me two questions. Um, the first question was, uh, besides you, Len, does anyone care about this? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. So like, uh, they weren't big Disney fans at the time. Um, but the, uh, so it turns out, you know, 60 million people visit, visited Walt Disney world in the year that I did my thesis. So 60 million people is enough. The second question (laughs) though they had was, um, is it hard? Like, is the problem that you want to study worthy of a master's thesis? Um, so they sent me to the library to do some research on that. And the interesting thing is that uh, it's uh, minimizing your weight in line in Disney World is an example of this classic problem in math and computer science called the traveling salesman problem. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's typically phrased like this. Um, imagine you're a traveling salesman and you want to visit all 50 state capitals or all 48 state capitals in the continental United States, um, which the order in which you should visit them to minimize the distance that you have to drive. Mm -hmm. And it turns out this remarkably complicated problem because the number of possible routes to consider grows um, faster than exponentially. So if you want to ride one ride, right? There's only one way to do it. You just go to the ride, Mm -hmm. right? Correct. If you want to ride two rides, um, there are two ways to do it. You go to the first ride first or you go to the second ride first, right? There's only two ways to do it. Um, If you want to ride three rides, there's six ways to do it. If you want to ride four there's 24. So for, for whatever number of rides you want to ride, let's say five, it's five times four times three times two times one possible ways to visit those rides, right? So five is 720. By the time you get to 10 rides, which is by the way, average. So the most guests who go to the Magic Kingdom uh, experience 10 rides in a day. There's a uh, 3.6288 million uh, different ways to visit those <laughs> wow. 10, 10 rides. Okay. <laughs> And you're not going to do that in your head, right? Is that um, a combination or a permutation? I feel like I remember it, this from... It, it's, it's a factorial, right? Uh, oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, very good. There's, there's our math minute for the day. Um, 
So normally Joe helped me pass math, so <laughs> <laughs> it's all him. So for um for like the twenty something rides that we have in a standard touring plan for the Magic Kingdom, there's fifty one billion billion different combinations. Um, oh, wow! <laughs> so you need computers to do that. the uh, The thing I found out during my research was that um, package delivery companies like FedEx and UPS have to solve this exact same problem um, every day. So imagine you're the delivery driver when you drive, you're driving a UPS truck, the rides you want to ride are the customers you want to visit. And mm -hmm. the wait in line is the traffic between the customers. It's exactly the same problem. So my master's thesis expanded on the PhD dissertation of one of UPS's lead research scientists. Wow, that's interesting. My dad used to drive package cars, so yeah. So I mean, there's like super complicated scheduling algorithm. I'm sure they did. He have a computer that guided him and told him where to go next. Oh man, he was that was probably in the early '90s, and then he ended up switching over to doubles. So okay. he he stopped doing that. But yeah, yeah. So now I know like UPS does super complicated route planning, and it's it's even a bigger problem that we do. I mean, we typically I think the software can handle up to like 70 rides. But UPS is typically looking at, you know, over 100 deliveries a day. So they've got some really industrial strength stuff going on there. Crazy. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually was able to find a copy of your thesis and I kind of, <laughs> you know, read through it. I mean, it's it's fascinating to read. I mean, I'm familiar with touring plans, but I didn't yeah. realize everything that went into it. Just the, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, kind of the logic that what you kind of just explained of, you know, how do you figure out? The most efficient way to get it to every ride, you're factoring in the time it takes to walk from one ride to yeah. another. If you have lunch in there, that adds whole other levels to it. Oh it yeah, just, so you find the you find the uh, so that's, that's the thing you're talking about. I think is the one of the the first uh, technical chapter of my thesis, and I specifically wrote that as an introduction to the problem. Right, <laughs> Joe was. Joe was geeking out to me and like my mind does not wrap around that kind of stuff. But he was like, oh, there's all this that goes into it. I'm like, yeah, it's super no, complicated. I, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. You could talk to him about that some sometime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I tried to write the, the thesis for like the average, you know, theme park fan. I mean, there's some stuff in there that's super technical. The formulas. Um, yeah, and they did a whole chapter on dynamic programming, which um this is becoming a TED talk. Um, <laughs> I did a whole chapter on dynamic programming, which was really hard, and that's not that's not really for theme park fans. But um, yeah, so but like skip that, that chapter then. Yeah, that first chapter was like you know if you're if you're the average if you're just a fan of theme parks, like here's how I approach this problem. That's what yeah that whole yeah that's crazy. yeah yeah it's very it is easy to understand if you're familiar with it, and then the whole idea of you're creating touring plans and then testing them against other ones, kind of the evolutionary yeah. approach to it to kind of come up with the best one. I think you say it, it saves an average of up to four hours in the parks if you follow the touring plans. So on a, on a normal busy day, not, not in the era of COVID, but um, on a typical busy day, it's more like five and the lawyers made us say four. Okay. Yeah. So we, 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 we fudged it down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, on a typical day, like a busy day in the Magic Kingdom, four hours easy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's really that's impressive. A, yeah, that's that's a lot of time. It's the thing that we tell people like who say, you know, I don't want to follow a plan because it's regimented. What you're saying is I'd rather wait in line, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. That's yeah, fine. We, we always have like a plan like down to the second of where we're going to be and when we're going to be there. Joe's really good at planning that stuff out. But yeah, he even said like next time we go, we need to use touring plans. Yeah. So, so the, a lot of stuff I've been doing in the parks now is is testing it to see uh, you know, how well it works, how well the, how well the plans work, how much time they save, but also things like how do, um, 
how did Disney's new cleaning procedures um, play into the plants? Because one of the things that we expect is that, you know, if Disney's doing their cleaning procedures at the Magic Kingdom, say at 11 a.m., at 1 p.m., at 3 p.m., and at 5 p.m., the models, our wait time models, should eventually pick that up and tell you not to ride certain rides at those times. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions is, how, have you seen any differences, you know, in the parks after they open? How has it impacted, you know, people's touring plans with, you know, or is Disney, obviously there's less people in the parks. Are they lowering capacity that, you know, you're still waiting around roughly the same time? Is it, you know, kind of, it, there's really not much wait for anything and it, it, the touring plans don't necessarily have as much of an impact? It's, uh, so we actually tested this in the Magic Kingdom last week. Um, so I had my sister, Christina, uh, who works for us and is in the parks every day, um, follow a touring plan. So she, we began at 11 a.m. because 11 a.m. is when most people are in the park. So if there's going to be a difference in using a touring plan versus not using a touring plan, starting at 11 a.m. would highlight or would accentuate that difference. Um, so she started at 11 a.m. and we wanted to visit the 18 most popular attractions or 16 most popular attractions in the park. Um, I was starting at exactly the same time um, and I wasn't following a plan. What I was doing was um, this thing where somebody at work told me to go visit Seven Doors Mine Train first, so I did. And then um, I visited the attractions basically in popularity order after that. So after Seven Doors, I did Big Thunder. Um, and the interesting thing was Chrissy ended up waiting about half an hour more because she got caught in um, cleaning cycles on rides that I didn't. Oh, sorry, I take that back. She finished 10 minutes earlier than I did. I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss anything. She finished before I did and she would have gotten on seven doors mine train. Um, so she would have seen one more ride if it hadn't started raining. She also waited an additional half hour um, due to cleaning procedures. So she would have waited about 40 minutes less than I, I did over the course wow. of the day. She also walked a mile and a half less, which is something that we never talk about. Um, mm -hmm. But the touring plans try and uh, uh, do this locality thing where we know that people hate crisscrossing the parks. Um, so we try and minimize the walk. We try and balance off walking versus waiting in line. So that was really interesting to see that. I think, I think in general, you can still save half an hour a day, even, even now in the parks, um, if you follow a touring plan. So how have the parks been since reopening? I know we started actually talking about this before, and then we were like, oh, we need to, we need to record this. This is some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there, so I, I, I got to, like yesterday, for example, I got to the Magic Kingdom around four o'clock. I was meeting some friends for dinner um, and I was the only person to walk into the temperature screening at the TTC. I was the only person in the security checkpoint. I, I got my, there were, there's only one other group on the entire monorail with me. So I got my own car. Um, so it took me from the time I started my temperature screening, I timed this to the time I was on Main Street USA was nine minutes which wow. is kind of amazing because I know during in, you know, in, in the before days, um, it, you know, that could, that could take an hour, you know, to get through all that stuff. Um, but yeah, nine minutes. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. That is nuts. So I, I guess as far as, uh, you know, uh, obviously Disney has the reservation system, park capacity is low, any kind of estimate on what they seem to be running at? Is it, a quarter of the capacity, half? Oh, way less than 10%. Oh, um, really? Okay. I would say yeah. on, an, on an average day, excluding the studios. The studios is probably at 10%. Um, I don't think they're... Some, I mean, somewhere between 5 and 10%. Like the Magic Kingdom, I think, their max capacity is around eight or 9,000 people, and they're probably averaging five. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Wow. 
Six? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, not much. Not many people there. Based on all their safety procedures, I was going to say, I, I imagine with that few people in the park, you know, there's plenty of distancing on people. You mentioned oh, yeah. they're cleaning the rides. Is it? Do you feel safe going, being in the parks? Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the number one, um, everyone in the parks are wearing masks. And Disney is vigilant about enforcing those mask guidelines. Like occasionally you'll you'll see someone walking around with the mask not covering their nose. And the first cast member that sees them will tell them, you know, to change that. Um, we need to add those around just town everywhere. <laughs> I, I joked with people uh, uh, constantly that uh, Disney World is the safest city in Florida right now. Mm. It, it's gotten better. But like in June, like, I mean, there was just rampant non-compliance with mask wearing. And so I live in Osceola County, uh, which has a, had a mask um, uh, ordinance. You had to wear a mask and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't enforced. And I would say like, if you went to the grocery store, or you went to the, you know, Target or Walmart, 60% of the people were wearing and 40% weren't. And I'm like, what on earth are you not wearing a mask for during a pandemic? Like, is, is that, this is the point that you're trying to make. Right. But yeah. it's, it's different in Disney World, I think for a couple of reasons. One, we're all used to following orders, just being in Disney World anyway, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And number two, uh, no one's going to get kicked out after spending $120 to get in just because they don't yeah. want to wear a mask. So uh, the third thing is, you know, if you're if you're traveling to Florida to go to Disney World, you want to be there mm-hmm. and you're willing to follow the rules. So it's been it's been fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd have to imagine that only people going are probably the most diehard fans anyways, that yeah. they want to be there. They know kind of, hey, this is you know, the minimum you have to do kind of as entry yeah. to, to get in the park. So I, I have seen a number of families like with their, you know, their custom vacation uh, mm-hmm. t-shirts. So that's good. So it, fewer than you would expect, but, and I think, you know, they stand out more because there are fewer people in the park, but you know, we saw for the weekend, we saw a group of 20 all wearing yellow shirts and, wow. you know, it was like this, we had planned this vacation and we're going to take it, you know? So good for wow. That. Yeah, we we joked about like driving down, but it's like a I don't know how many hours. Eighteen hours. Or yeah, something it's like eighteen drive, yeah. hour drive. Well, I used to live in Youngstown, yeah, and it was like twenty two back in the oh, day, but God. speed limits were different then too, yeah. So yeah, that's what we kind of <laughs> talked about. We we're like, I, I think you know, going to the parks, being there. I think once we're down there, we we'd feel comfortable just because of of everything they have in mm-hmm. place. But it's the fact that you have to fly to get down there. There's the other or, transportation, so it's almost like yeah, if you could drive and kind of control your transportation options. I think that'd be the better option. Or because Florida became a hot spot, we're like, we're still going to have to drive through those hot spots. And then if what if we have to go in somewhere to get yeah. food or whatever? So <laughs> exactly. Like you're yeah. carrying gas cans with you like it's Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to exactly. school. Yeah. <laughs> eating, eating food that you brought with you until you get to Florida. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we figured. You know what? We can we can just skip this year and, and you know, go back next year and everything. So it, it will be interesting to see. I mean, how this impacts the 50th anniversary next year. I mean, I know all the rides are getting delayed. They're, they're cutting a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff is just going to be delayed. Like the 50th, I think was supposed to start this October and it's starting next October now, which makes more sense. By next October, we should have a vaccine. Yep. And yeah. It, just kind of push everything mm-hmm. back. Yeah, exactly. Push everything back a year. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I know, you know, Angela's the big foodie on the show here. <laughs> I know food and wine's going on. Len, I know from listening to Disney dish, you, uh, you're into the food too. What, what are some oh. of the good, food options at this year's food and wine festival. Well, the good is thing, the, good. Is, oh, sorry. Is, it, is the dish from Disney dish, the fact that you like to eat so much? <laughs> it's uh, it's more <laughs> gossip, but yeah. I was uh, going to say, is it a pun somehow? You know, does it have multiple meetings? It does, exactly. So the good thing is that Disney took the break. So remember we, uh, Disney closed down like right as 
flower and garden had started. And the, when they came back, when they reopened the parks, they decided to start food and wine even earlier than it's ever been. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is um, they already had the booths up from, from flower and garden. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, a lot of the restaurants in World Showcase are closed because uh, the international program has stopped. So a lot of sit-down places are, aren't open. So it makes sense to do flower and garden slash food and wine for the rest of the year. The good thing is, is that Disney took that break to rethink some of the menus from flower and garden. So it's, it's, it wasn't just, here's the stuff that we were serving in March again in July. So for example, in Japan, they introduced a new tempura uh, dish. So it's two pieces of uh, tempura shrimp and then tempura vegetable patty on um, sushi rice with a ponzu sauce dressing thing that's just amazing. Like one of the best things that they've done in any food festival over the last few years. Um, that sounds and, great. Yeah. And the the interesting thing on it is, uh, have you seen the flower pot with the, um, with the uh, salmon and soy sauce? I have not. I was going to say I don't think I have seen that. We looked. I looked through a, an article or two about it, but I don't think I saw a picture of that one. So the um, it's a it's a small flower pot like the size of a coffee cup. It has a rice base and then uh, chunks or cubes of uh, salmon with a soy glaze on it. So it's salty because of the soy. Mm -hmm. And if you get them both together, if you get the um, the tempura and the salmon. Um, you get a salty sweet combination in it, and, and somebody was really thinking there. So on opening day, um, we, we were the first people lined up at the Japan food booth for this, and I was talking. There were obviously there were more managers in the park than there were people <laughs> yes, in the park on that day. But I, you know, I was talking to them. I was like, you know, I was talking to one of the managers, and I said, yeah, "This is this is great. You, it's not like you guys just sat around for four months. I mean, clearly somebody went to a lot of trouble to think up a new dish." Uh -huh. that, you know, a way to improve things for when, when it reopened. And it, and it really, it really showed because the two, if you got both dishes, they complemented each other very, very well. So it was, a uh, uh, the manager mentioned that, uh, the chef in this case was chef Ken. Thank mm -hmm. you, chef Ken. Um, and then, yeah, he basically spent the off time thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of the year? Which was great. Uh -huh. So stuff like that's always good to see, you know, that, that they're constantly trying to improve things. And that was, that was very heartening, right? It wasn't just like, mm -hmm. You know, we're going to do food and wine as a money grab or whatever. It's what I'd love to see too is like I, I expect them to evolve the menus going forward because um, I don't know what it's like in in Pittsburgh right now, but it was 106 with the heat index yesterday oh in the Magic Kingdom, and <laughs> nobody when it's 106, nobody wants Canada's cheddar cheese soup in a fillet. Like there's right, no right. there's no instance in which you like literally you could just put it on the nearest metal railing and sear. The meat up. <laughs> so I, what I expect them to do is to change the menu at least one more time between mm -hmm. now and uh, now and you know the end of the year, and I expect that food and one will run through yeah, at least Thanksgiving. So wow, mm -hmm. yeah, but the food's been the food's been really good. The um, uh, the couple of tweaks that they made to the menu are really good. You can tell that there are food booths that aren't quite open yet, like the the Alps booth. Mm -hmm for food and wine, or I think it was there for flower and garden is not reopened. So some of it's a staffing issue as well, but yeah, I mean, right. over time it'll all, it'll all reopen. Is, I, I'm trying to think if it, it was flower and garden or food and wine that they had the, it was like a honey booth. Like they had different, different dishes that had honey on them. I think oh, I ordered yeah. and it had like, um, I think it was like cauliflower and it had grapes and honey on it. It was the most 
like well-balanced dish I've, I've ever had there because it was sweet and salty, like kind of like what you were just <sighs> describing all in one. That sounds delicious. It was amazing. <laughs> I think that was food and wine because I remember the honey bistro. I think yes, that might have been yeah, it. I think it was food and wine last year. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Kind of getting back to um, some more with with touring plans and things. You know, one of the the things that I also thought interesting re- reviewing your your thesis there was that you kind of even at the end talked about you could see everybody having like a smartphone device or something in the parks to then see what the wait times were live. I mean, almost kind of predicting you know the, the iPhone how everybody has. I wrote that in 1999. Let me just say, so. yeah, well, yeah, well, well ahead. So. Twenty years later, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned like Palm Pilots or something. In, I did because that's Pilot what was out at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you know, o- over the past 20 years, obviously, you know, a lot more technology has come to the parks. What have you seen that has caused changes to, I guess, either how you know people are using touring plans or how you're gathering your information to kind of improve it with you know, the invention of magic bands and, and using yeah. more fast passes and devices like that. I think in, in terms of uh, things that we've seen, especially with Disney, because Disney's sort of the leader in this space, they've really started applying in the last 20 years um, more technology and more operations research to the park. So, I mean, from day one, Disney's been a, an operations research company. I mean, if you look, go back and look at what uh, Buzz Price did for Walt, in placing Disneyland or in figuring out how to run Disneyland. They basically invented, you know, the the theme park subtopic of operations research, right? I mean, there's a lot of queuing mm-hmm. stuff going on there, but um, but they really specialized it for theme parks. So Disney's always been uh, you know, in that in that space. But if you look at like the original version of FastPass, it was designed to address a problem where they needed to balance out people in the parks. Mm-hmm. So um any any theme park, the goal of any theme park is to have all the rides being used at a reasonable level. Like you wouldn't want everybody at Space Mountain and nobody at Magic Carpets of Aladdin. So the original the original reason for FastPass version one was to do that. Okay, you know, we we know you want to ride uh, Space Mountain, but we don't want you standing in line for two hours for it because you're not doing anything else for two hours. Here's a, you know, here's another line you can wait in if you agree to come back at three o'clock. Go do something right. else. Okay. Right. So it balances people out in the park. And you, if you remember when you guys used to get um, paper fast passes, occasionally you'd get that uh, extra magical surprise fast pass. Like here's a fast <laughs> pass for Carousel of Progress, which nobody ever needed, right? But it was a reminder, right. it was a reminder to go somewhere else. Okay. Right? So, um, so they were using that to sort of balance crowds out. And one of the things that Disney saw was that people who used FastPass were more satisfied than people who didn't. Mm. Um, the one downside to FastPass was, paper FastPass, was that uh, for certain attractions, um, like remember when Toy Story Mania opened up, you had to be there first thing in the morning or all the mm. FastPasses would be gone. Yeah. Right. And so people who were spending you know, $10,000 to stay at Grand Floridian on their vacation voiced concerns about having to spend that much money to stay at the hotel and not being able to sleep in on their vacation, which is a legitimate concern, right? Mm-hmm. So Disney responded by that in, um, by doing FastPass Plus, right? So FastPass Plus was an overarching uh, idea, but one of the things was that they took from it was people who use paper versions of FastPass were more satisfied than people who didn't. So we should encourage people to use FastPass more. 
that's great. The second thing that it addressed was this problem of having to get up in the morning to get paper fast passes. That's why they did the scheduling thing. And the interesting thing was, if you read the presentation that was given to Disney's board of directors, they actually said in the presentation, um, look, by by implementing FastPass Plus, the wait times at major attractions are going to go up anywhere from three to eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And, but it's going to be worth it um, when you look at people's satisfaction with not waiting in line on the rides that they get fast passes for. So, mm-hmm. you know, wait times will go up slightly, but people will be happier overall. And it turns out that they were completely wrong about the wait time thing, but it all still worked, which was kind of <laughs> great. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, so now, how are they wrong about the wait time? Did wait times actually go down with fast passes? Wait, wait, wait times at major rides actually went down. So it did the opposite yeah. of what they predicted. Yeah. The, uh, again, the, the goal is to balance people throughout the park. So what FastPass, did, FastPass Plus did was even more evenly distribute people. So people stopped going to the headliner rides and started going to the secondary attractions. So what happened was um, wait times at the headliner rides went down a little bit. So things like you know Space Mountain, um, Big Thunder Mountain went down slightly. And then wait times at secondary rides, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, for example, went up slightly. Mm. So more evenly, more even distribution of guests throughout the park. Yeah, I mean, I think... Even though they, 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 the prediction was wrong, I think like my Disney experience at FastPass Plus was one of the great operations research stories of the, 2010, the decade of the 2010s. Like they did not get enough credit for doing what they did. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people, you know, that is kind of one gripe of, oh, I have to get up, you know, 60 days or whatever out to make, you know, my fast pass reservations, but, and, but it is, you, but you don't have yeah. to wake up on your vacation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, but it, it is, it is nice to have to, to know, Hey, especially like some of these major attractions, like flight of passage, where yeah. if you're not there right at the beginning of the day, it's two, three hours wait still. It's, you know, to know you have a fast pass for that. Yeah. It takes a lot of pressure off when you're there. And you can plan the rest of the day, right? You can plan your naps and things like that and everything else. Around. The other thing that we've seen is, um, the virtual queuing is is something that Disney's trying now. And I mean, they're only running it on Rise of the Resistance. And they're only running it because of ride reliability. Like you couldn't, you couldn't give out fast passes for Rise. Remember when it when it first launched, it would it would break down a lot. Yes. yes. Right. And so the problem with that is that if you've guaranteed somebody a ride reservation via fast pass and the ride breaks down for every hour that you're that the ride is broken down. Now you've got two hours worth of capacity that you've got to make good on. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially for a major ride like rise, um, that leads it to all kind of guest satisfaction issues. So rather than giving people a guaranteed return time, like fast pass, they came up with this idea of virtual queues where they could, um, give everybody a slot in line, but not have to guarantee a specific time. Yeah. Do you see them using more virtual queues on other mm-hmm. rides? No, because it's annoying as hell. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so now it's, you know, they're doing two drops for, um, two drops for virtual queues for rise of the resistance throughout the day. Remember when the park, when the ride first opens, there was, there was one drop. You had to be at the park at, at essentially at 6 a.m. Yeah, right? a minute yeah. after it opened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was exactly the problem that they were trying to get away from, right? So now you, they're doing multiple drops throughout the day. Um, and that helps a little bit, but I think... There's so much dissatisfaction with it. So, for example, if you can't if you can't get into the studios, let's say that you you want to you know rise is the reason why you're going to the studios, which is true for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're there at 10 a.m. You don't get your virtual group uh, boarding group for Rise of the Resistance. Now you've got to wait until four hours until two o'clock. Well, it's great, 
you know, but if you've already visited once and you didn't get your boarding group, then now you're basically stuck at the studios because you can't park yeah. up or, right. you know, or you wait till two o'clock and imagine that, but multiplied by like four rides at the magic kingdom. Imagine if you had to do that for the mountains, like, that would be horrible. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. It's not what yeah. people want. So it's a, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to be doing it except in extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. So right now I know they're not providing fast passes at all. So what do you think the future of fast passes and then how would that affect you and what you're doing? I would be shocked if it it doesn't move to the model that they're using in Paris where it's paid. Um, If you look at what um, Disney Genie is supposed to be. So if you read the, um, so Disney Genie is the app that they announced uh, a year ago at D23. Um, It's supposed to be out later this year. I haven't heard anything else about it. Um, but the idea was that it would schedule your you know, itinerary. And if you read the job postings for the people who are working on that team, um, their, their first goal in developing the app is revenue. Um, so that tells me that the only reason you would build that app is to make money on it. Yeah. And the way that you would make money is by selling fast passes for it. Gotcha. Right. If Disney yeah. just if Disney just came out and said this thing that we've been giving you for free for you know more than twenty years mm-hmm. is now going to be paid, people would freak out, right? Yeah. But if they said, "Here's a new app," and in that app, the the app said, "Okay, you know we've 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 scheduled your day for you, and the best we can do without fast pass is a forty minute wait at be our guest, but we'll sell you a fast pass for ten dollars each." And your wait will be five minutes. Would you do it? Right. That's how. That's how they're going to do it. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Kind of like, favorite. yeah, what they do at Disneyland. I mean, they have the Max Pass there, so you can you could still go get your paper Fast Passes. But then yeah, if you pay, fast. I think ten dollars or something a ticket, you can yeah. do it all on your phone. Right. So it's almost kind of like that that you know freemium model of we'll give you a base level kind of free, but then you're right if you want you know, an even reduced wait time or better rides, that's when you have to start paying for it. Did and you so say freemium? Freemium. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a model. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it, that's actually it. it'll be it'll be freemium. So you get you three <laughs> fast passes, but if you want more, you know. So the interesting thing to me is going to be what they price that at. And I'm sure it'll be demand based. But you guys remember a year of a million dreams? No. The single no. greatest promotion that Disney has ever done is Year of a Million Dreams. And I believe it was so the two thousand one or two thousand five. So it, Okay. Might, have, might have been before your time. But one of the things that they did was, one of the things, prizes that you could win, they were giving out a million prizes over the course of a year or 15 months. And the prizes ranged from like a pin to a night in the, uh, in the castle suite in Cinderella. Okay. okay. Um, so one of the most common prizes was a lanyard that offered you, this was in the days of physical paper fast passes. So one of the most common prizes was a lanyard that gave you one fast pass for every fast pass ride in the Magic Kingdom. And you would, little pieces of plastic that you would break off and hint to the cast member to say, okay, this is my fast pass. Um, so Disney valued that entire lanyard. So one fast pass for every fast pass ride in the Magic Kingdom. In they, uh, um, you know, when you do a contest, you have to, you have to explain the value of the prizes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, taxes. So, so Disney said that um, they, the set of fast passes was worth $5. And, oh, and wow. you know, I looked at that at the time. I'm like, I will give you five dollars every day. Yeah, if you give me a fast right. pass for every if, ride. If yep. that's what the value is, right? I will. You know, where do I sign up? Like, where do I buy these? So it'll be interesting yeah. to see now what they can, what they think the value of a fast pass is. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm guessing that nothing will be 
nothing major will be less than five or ten dollars each. Right. Yeah. Now, do you think they keep um, fast passes off until they have this new genie app to roll out, or do you do you see fast passes coming back beforehand? I know everything kind of depends on with COVID and everything. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I uh, there's a couple of reasons why I don't think they're going to bring back fast pass anytime soon. One is um, simply because they want to keep you in the park longer. Like imagine mm-hmm. th- the studios has, I think nine attractions right now. Imagine if you could fast pass three of them, like how long, how long are you going to be in the studios? I mean, you'd be right. Like, yeah. yeah. You're out so fast. Yeah. Same thing with animal kingdom. Um, the other thing is, is that they don't really don't want people congregating in lines right now. They're using um, the fast pass lines at a lot of rides for um, disability access and for VIP tours. So they don't want a lot of people standing in those lines for those reasons because you just don't want people standing around. So um, it's super limited use right now. And I don't think they want to they want to start clogging that up. And frankly, you don't you don't need it, right? I mean... Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, without park hopping and anything, there's no, yeah. there's no real reason to get, like you said, be done in a couple hours in a park anyways because there's nowhere else you're going to be able to go. I'd expect park hopping to come back before Fast Pass. Um, and you saw that um, Universal's new Florida resident ticket deal is now two parks in the same day for this uh, for the price of one. Oh wow! Oh, okay, wow. No, I've not seen nice. that. No. So Universal is acknowledging that, um, you know, with uh, with everything that's closed and everything that can't be done, it's it's difficult to say, you know, um, one park is worth one hundred and sixty dollars a day. Uh-huh. So now they're doing two parks. For $160 a day. So I would expect to see Disney do something similar where um, maybe, and they might even tell you like, if you're in this park, you can hop to this park. Like if you're at the studio, like you can hop between the Animal Kingdom and, and the studios on the same day if, if you've got reservations for either one. They would do that. Or if you're going like Magic Kingdom, you can go to Epcot. Something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of wondering, because when the park reservation system came out, you know, there was the mention of you have to select a time, like yeah. a time slot. And I think, you know, now when you go on, it's the time slots the whole day. But I, I almost wondered, yeah, I almost wondered if they would have something where, okay, you can pick, you know, eight to noon at this park and then, you know, one to six or something at another park. If that's kind of, you know, they're building that in there for right. down the road. I. I, that would be so the difficulty there would be getting people out of the park, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I said I was going to be here from 10 to 2, but I want to stay till 3. Now what? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, but yeah, it, it was it was unusual that they included that step to say pick a time. The the thing, the other thing that I was considering was if they were going to run, let's say that they were going to run two eight hour sessions in a day for a park. So imagine, um, you know, eight hours from like, and I'm making this up 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then two hours to clean the park and then 5 p.m. to, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever. 1 a.m. Right. That was my other thinking that they could they could have twice as many people in the park um, and still leave time for cleaning. Yeah. But otherwise, other than that, it didn't make sense for the um, for the, the time window thing. But I think the other reason why they're doing park reservations is um, for contact tracing. If they ever needed to say. Yeah. To answer to a to, you know a question like give me the names of everybody that was in this park on this day right we okay. need to do I've not even thought of that yeah. yeah contact tracing yeah that makes a lot of sense all right now I I know um you know kind of with touring plans and with everything you have a lot of information in the parks are there some 
like common mistakes people make that are like counterintuitive. Like, you know, we talked about park hopping a lot. I think, yeah. you know, Ange and I are always park hopping. <laughs> but when I think about it, I'm like, is that really worth it because you're spending the time to go from one park to another? So there's some of those like kind of counterintuitive things that the data shows. Yeah, definitely. So park hopping makes sense in a, a number of um, cases. Like first, if you want to go to eat in Epcot at night, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Not even considering wait times. Um, the other thing is, is if uh, in the old days when we had extra magic hours, if you wanted to go to a park with morning extra magic hours, but then bail out um, before it got too crowded, that made sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like like mistakes that people make, the number one is like not planning at all. The uh, yeah. like it, and that kills me, right? Because like the num- Disney World vacation is expensive, and the number yeah. of people who are spending you know five hundred dollars for their family to come in for the day, who walk into the entrance, pick up a park map, and open it up. And start looking at you know what should I do first? It's like, <laughs> like intuitive. My first thought is always like, dude, what are you doing for retirement planning? Because oh man, <laughs> well, a, we know we know how many people how many people in America only have like a thousand dollars yeah saved like, up or less than that. Yeah, like yeah, that's the, that's the question. Like, what are you? What sort of long term planning are you doing outside of this? It, it, yeah. That boggles my mind. The other thing that we check though, and we've addressed this I think since day one in the guide is like, you hear people say when you get to a theme park, always go left or always go right. Cause the crowd does the opposite. And like that, it makes no sense. Uh, number one, because if you think about like the magic kingdom, Disney's oriented the major rides to be on the extreme ends of geographically dispersed places in the park. <laughs> so think about where space mountain is, right? Space mountain is up into the right. If you're looking at the map, splash and big thunder are up into the left, completely opposite ends of the park. And then seven doors mine train is in the middle between them. Right. right. So anyone, anyone who's ever worked for a theme park um, or designed a theme park will design that park to put all the major attractions in different areas to make sure that the guests are sort of balanced out. Right. And and to the extent that they ever fail on that, like I don't know that it was a great idea to put Splash and Big Thunder together, but let's say those <laughs> are the two most popular things. Right. So the people who design it, even if they make a mistake, the park ops people who run the parks can get around that by doing things like character greetings and live entertainment in areas where they want to pull guests to. So this is great if you're into uh, theme park papers. There's this great paper um, by this guy named Reza Amadi at um, UCLA. And he uh, he was looking at wait times as well. And he was working directly with Six Flags Magic Mountain in California. And in the course of like developing his mathematical models, he had to account for the things that the park was doing to draw people to different parts of the crowd to break up uh, different parts of the park to break up crowds. And he said in the paper, like, you know, we, we do character greetings. We'll, we'll bring out, you know, bands and live entertainment. And it'll be spontaneous based on where we need crowds to go. Mm. Okay. Uh, so it's a great paper just to see like how, how running a park looks from people who run a park. Um, the third thing that people do um, is that people who run parks is they'll artificially inflate wait times to get you to go other places. Um, so even if, even if, you know, walking to the right was the proper strategy, Disney could say, you know, the wait time at Space Mountain is 200, the posted wait time is 200 minutes when we know it's 40. Oh, okay. So you walk past that yeah. and you go, I'm not waiting for that and just keep on. Exactly. Moving. Right. Yep. Because, you know, because Disney, what are they going to do? Are they going to have somebody outside who says, look, the wait's really only 40 minutes, but would, would really appreciate it if, <laughs> if you went on. It's a small world right now because crowds are going to be crazy for the rest of the day. 
right? <laughs> not going to work. So they use um, they use inflated wait times to uh, change the behavior, and every theme park does that. It's not a secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that that's that's all really interesting. I mean, again, it's like I, I don't I feel think, manipulated right now. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think people realize that everything that goes into running a running the theme parks. It's complicated. Think. Yeah. 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 This is the thing. I, I, the other thing is like. There's, you're reading a lot of articles right now about how you know people are like, well, how could you, how could you go to Walt Disney World or uh, uh, you know in the, in, the, in the time of a, a pandemic, and and it's sort of in, the subtext of that is why do adults like Walt Disney World so much, mm-hmm. which drives me up the wall me it, too. Uh, for a variety of reasons. One is um, why are theme parks any different than like. Uh, uh, you know, art or literature. I mean, they're they're both very skilled crafts, right? Um, but the other thing is, is, like, if you if you're interested in if you look at how Disney World works, it is endlessly fascinating, right? Yes. Like, yes. like if you think, it, set aside the fact that it's it's an actual city bigger than most cities, right? Hundred on a, on a normal day, hundreds of thousands of people will go there, uh, and Disney's got to uh, move them around. They've got to make them safe. They've got to feed them. They've got to shelter them. Sometimes they got to close them and they've got to entertain them, right? Mm-hmm. And they do it all so well that we're willing to pay thousands of dollars to do it, right? <laughs> so so yeah. how? How does that all work? Like how does that, you know, like why, how does Disney make that little city work? To me, that's endlessly fascinating. Whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, like how does the bus system work? It's the third largest bus system in Florida, right? Right, yeah. How, yeah. how, does, how does that work? Or, you know, everything from like that to, why is why is Splash Mountain, uh, you know, a great ride? Even uh, what do people love Splash Mountain? Even given its, you know, its its history of of, well, it's it's problematic film based, right? Like, what yeah. makes mm-hmm. Splash Mountain or Space Mountain or you know any other ride great, or, or, or what makes a ride not great? Like when rides aren't good, like Stitch's Great Escape, what failed mm-hmm. there? Right? right. That's you know that is really interesting uh, to me, and like I've always said, if I could. Uh, if I could ever be at Disney World all night, I would want to see how they prep the park for the next day. Like, like what goes into running Be Our Guest? Is there someone there at 4 a.m. chopping up carrots like for, yeah. for the next day's lunch? Like Stuff like that to me is super interesting. So, I, th- I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing that culturally we have going f- for us where it's like you become an adult and it's almost like fun is a little bit more taboo. I don't understand why. And then also well, like <laughs> curiosity in itself is almost like well, that's it too. pushed outside. <laughs> Like the people that complain that Epcot isn't real, like no kidding, Epcot is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not supposed to simulate it. It's supposed to inspire you to go there. Like right. the people right. that don't get that, I'm like, like, uh, do you have trouble reading books in general? Like, <laughs> people have to explain film plots to you. How, how do you not get that? Right? Why do you think it's why do you think it's a substitute and not inspiration? Like, if you can't figure that out, I really have questions about what you comprehend. It, right. it drives yeah. me insane. The, and the, the thing I think is, is that it's, it's so easy to take cheap shots at Disney mm. um, that, that people sort of default to that. And it's, yeah. I mean, I, I was guilty of that too. Like, I mean, I think for the first few years I was writing the guide, it was really easy to take cheap shots at Disney. And then I realized like, there's no challenge in that, right? It's, you can make fun of anything. Like I could, I could literally make fun of anything, yeah. but, but what's the point in that, right? Instead, let's figure out what they're doing really well. And what they're not doing really well, and then explain why it's good or why it's not good. That's harder, 
Yeah, people always want to hate on something that's very successful. Yeah, no matter yeah. what it is. And again, I can I can make fun of of anything in art or literature or you know any any sort of subjective thing. It's easy to make fun of it, but to figure out you know um, what's good about it and what people like about it and how it all works, that's the more challenging and interesting thing to me. So I've I've kind of evolved now. Yeah, on, on yeah, that. it's pretty amazing because you know, like you said, they're a small city, but yeah, when you really think about it, they have to you know run top top quality hotels, top quality restaurants, yeah, top quality yeah. parks. Like there's, there are like three or four companies in one. Like it's, it's absolutely amazing how oh, those yeah. all have to interact. Yeah, they could spin off the hotels tomorrow, right? They could spin yep. off the, the parks tomorrow, right? Um, please don't do that. By the way, Disney, the integration, the integration is very important. Yes. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a, it's a very large operation and it's super complex. And I think, you know, no matter what subject you're interested in, there's an example of it happening at Disney that's worthy of study. Yeah. And then if you ever get bored going, you, you can just do the behind the scenes tours and then you get like <laughs> so much more mind fodder because you're like, what? Yeah. This is how this actually works. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, again, it's it's endlessly fascinating. There's also the cruise line if you get bored with the parks, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm trying to convince Joe to do one of the cruises. Have you ever one been on a cruise? No, we have uh, not. Why not? Uh-uh. Um, I've been on one cruise in my life. I, I got violently ill <laughs> the first day, but that was that was something else but yeah i don't know we just yeah i don't know just never i've just never really had an interest in a cruise i think if i would do one disney cruise would probably mm-hmm. be the the one that i would do though yeah, yeah my sister's done like phew, i don't even know like 10 she's done a lot of disney cruises yeah. so yeah and i was i was originally like not in the cruise like for me i'll tell you the story okay so um one time my uh my uh, ex-wife and my daughter uh, wanted to go to an, we used to live in North Carolina and they wanted a family vacation off the coast of North Carolina on an island with no electricity and no, it was, sorry, it was electricity like four hours a day, but no internet connectivity. It was like off, off the coast of North Carolina. So we did wow. it as a camping thing. Um, that we, they got there, they spent all week there and I'm like, look, I, I, I have to work. I can't, I can't be there. So I was going to go there um, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and we're all going to come home Sunday. And by Saturday afternoon, I was trying to get cell phone reception, and I'm not making this up, to call a helicopter to get us off the island because there was, <laughs> there was only one ferry a day going back and forth because there wasn't electricity or internet connectivity. And I was like, I'm done <laughs> with all of this. Like, I was, I'm not kidding. I was walking around the beach with my cell phone, going like, <laughs> holding it up, looking for a signal. Like, I know this helicopter is going to cost me thousands of dollars, but by God, that's what money is for, right? <laughs> to get me off this island. And it turns out I, we couldn't do that. Um, and then on the way back, the ferry actually ran aground for a while. And the captain looked at us and said, we may have to be here for another day. I'm like, let me get out and start pushing the ferry. <laughs> Tell me where to dig in the sand under the ferry to get this thing moving. Anyway, I need internet connectivity, right? So when um, when Laurel proposed going on a Disney cruise, I was like, well, baby, here's what's, you know, I'll go with you. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up one morning and I'm not going to be there. And there's going to be a lifeboat missing. <laughs> and just know that I did what I had to do, right? <laughs> no, no, don't take that personally. Like I had to go home. Um, but you know what we, the first cruise I ever went on was the fantasy, the Disney fantasy, which is, I think my favorite ship. Um, there's plenty of stuff to do or not do if you wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically a billion dollar hotel that floats, <laughs> nothing wrong with it. Right. Um, 
the food is good. It's super relaxing. The internet's not great, but Disney's working on that. Um, yeah, but I really took to cruising. It's it's great because you can tell people, look, I'm going to be on a cruise. I'm not going to have email. I'm not going to have great internet connectivity. I'll see you in a week. Most people understand that. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, again, it's, it's interesting to see how a little self-contained city floats around. Like we were on, um, so I've been on, I think, a 12 or 15 Disney cruises. We've also done Royal. And for Royal, like they have super huge ships. Like some of those ships hold upwards of you know, 10,000 people. So again, a floating city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's really relaxing, especially the Disney cruises. Um, the spas on the Disney cruise are exquisite because <laughs> they, they do this like all day spa pass, rainforest um, spa pass, where they only sell 20 of them a cruise. And you have basically unlimited access to the saunas, the heated stone loungers, the sauna, um, the dip, uh, spas, the hot tubs. And there's only 20 people per cruise that get them. And it's like $20 a day. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you could have the entire spa to yourself. Like if you go, if you go during the first dinner seating, you could literally have the entire spa to yourself. There's wow. nothing Dude. more... You're speaking our language. Yeah, I was going to say that might convince spas. me. Now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's fantastic. Um, so and they've got three or four different saunas. The um, the showers have different temperatures and different um, water patterns with different scents. So you can, you know, and again, you're the only people in the spa, so you can run in and out of the spas pushing the buttons on the showers. So I can see what, <laughs> and I've done it, right? It's fantastic. You can push buttons, Joe. Yeah, there we go. That's, yes, that's yeah. Joe's it's, favorite. It's really, it's really amazing. Um, so I, I really started, and the artwork is great on it. On the, um, their interactive games on the on the Dream and the Fantasy. Like I said the food is is generally very good. Service is obviously excellent. Um, the one thing is, I mean, Disney's super expensive, but um, mm-hmm. but overall, it's if you can get a deal. Like for me, a deal is like anything under $200 per person per night on a Disney cruise is generally a good deal. Um, um, but yeah, you should try it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think maybe once think once so. cruising starts back up, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, have you ever check. done one of the, um, oh my goodness, what there are other vacations that they do? The, like the Adventures of yeah, Disney. Disney. No, speaking of expensive, that's the, uh, <laughs> yes. the thing for me. Is, I mean, those are so outrageously expensive. Um, we looked at one one time, I forget where it was, I think it was Rome, where it was going to be like for for three of us, so uh, Laurel and my daughter and I, it was going to be like over $20,000. And we've previously done, like we've taken my extended family to Europe for a month for $20,000. Like wow. so, you know, a, the idea of a week you know, for three people made no sense. Um, I can't I can't wrap my head around the price. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that includes airfare or anything either. Like they're, no. they are very expensive. I yeah. think the most reasonably priced ones were like to Costa Rica. You can get those for like a few thousand, which kind of made sense. But for the most part, yeah, they're yeah. they're well I just, overpriced. I can't I can't wrap my head around the number. I, yeah, I think we've mentioned like if we were going to go to a place that we were very nervous to travel to because we don't know the language or something that maybe we could possibly think about the price. But even then, we still haven't done it. But you know what? I mean. Unless you're going somewhere like, you know, rural Uzbekistan, everywhere you go, someone understands some English. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Like I've been to, on a whim, I went to Norway one time <laughs> and I, I, I don't speak Norsk, um, but everyone figured it out. Like, I mean, through gestures and, you know, pointing yeah. things. And that, um, frankly, most of them spoke better English than I do. Um, <laughs> same thing in, in Italy. I mean, even in rural Italy, or I was up in the, in the mountains in the north. 
Um, you know, I mean, what do you need to know? Quattro, quattro formaggio, formaggio for cheese, pizza, spaghetti. I mean, you can figure it out. <laughs> right. It's right. really not yeah. that hard. We we thought it was really interesting when we, we went to Japan. We did Tokyo, Disney. Yeah. And, stuff, and it was interesting how much you can communicate to somebody just via gesture. Like sure. we were we were blown away by that, I think. Yeah. The uh, I, I, I wrote to a travel writer one time. So before my first big Europe trip. I was like, how, how concerned should I be about not speaking English? And he's like, can you cross your legs and make a gesture like you have to go to the bathroom? Then you're fine, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like, that's all you need to know. Yeah. And then I think he said, like, you know, figure out how to say beer in every language and that you need. Yeah. But yeah, you'll be fine. Like, yeah. Especially Japan, too, which is a, uh, a, a non-romance-based uh, language, right? I mean, that's, that's completely right. different. So, yeah. But they're so considerate with their like ninety percent, ninety nine percent of their signs are in English first, sometimes right. even, and then Japanese. It's crazy. I remember I, remember I went to uh, it's nice they're considerate. I remember I went to uh, Disneyland Paris one time, and it was uh, I was looking for a character breakfast. So I walked into the restaurant because the door was open, um, and I wanted to ask when when the restaurant would open, and because the 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 hours were not on the restaurant window. So I walked in and there was a cast member there. I said, excuse me, you know, how are you? Um, and she didn't say anything. And I said, I'd like to know when the restaurant opened. And instead of telling me when, whether, when the restaurant opened, she gave me a lecture saying, uh, I'm on my break. And that um, in France, uh, breaks basically are sacred. And there are laws that um, uh, prevent workers from being exploited by uh, having to work on their break. And, uh, and that's something that I should be aware of. And so I apologized and I thought to myself, you could have saved yourself a whole bunch of time by just saying 10. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You know, if that's the thing, like you could have had more break time just by saying 10. Um, but anyway, yeah, so very interesting in, in Paris. But that was, I understand why they do it. All right, well, um, we'll get you out here. Maybe just a couple kind of quick rapid fire questions on you know, favorite stuff. So, I'm so um, excited. Go ahead. One thing, so we've done a, a few episodes on this so far is where we actually use the the touring plans, you know, kind of rating system and then we okay. kind of talk about what we think's over or underrated because that's a, you know, a nice, you know, average rating for the parks. What is one of the rides that you think based on kind of the aggregate ratings is either like grossly over or underrated in in one of the parks? Uh, I'll go with underrated and that is Country Bear Jamboree. <laughs> it's it's charming and I, and it's slower paced um and i didn't i didn't think that until uh recently but like if you think about the mashup at the end the song at the end um with the uh, ballad of davy crockett and i think uh old Slowfoot, um that's kind of musical genius and I'm, I'm a little sad that they cut that that attraction down because of americans attention spans um but i think it's i think it's the older I get, the more I think it's underrated. Um, overrated. Overrated. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Flood of Passage. Um, really? Okay. I, this story is just... Is, I also give you two things that are overrated. This is my hot take. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think the story of Flood of Passage is very good. Like, there's no emotional connection for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to any of the story, that yeah. yeah, as I say, the whole Avatar in general, there's it's hard for me to. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a movie everybody saw about characters nobody liked, right? Like um, the other thing, and this is my this is my hot take that I've been, I've really been spending a lot of time 
thinking about, I think Galaxy's Edge is a failure. Um, really? Wow. It's the land does nothing for me. The, the, the Rise of the Resistance is the best ride Disney's done in 30 years. The rest of it is not good. Um, the land is emotionally dead. There's nothing to connect to there. Um, the blue milk thing is such an obvious try uh, attempt to copy butterbeer that it it just it reeks of insincerity and it's also not good um yeah i don't think the land is very good i don't think there's i don't think it's visually interesting it lacks water uh, it mm. lacks movement there's that not no dynamic sense yeah so i think i think it is not up to the standards of other lands so failure may be a harsh word it's not good yeah, it is very monochromatic. Yeah. As you point, I mean, I I know, I mean Disney, uh, you know, whenever they were announcing it, there was talk of droids roaming around. There's going to be a lot more interactivity. I, I have to and imagine, they, they, and they, a lot of that stuff got cut. Yeah, tried, it kind yeah. of yeah. Well, didn't get cut. It was just hard to do. Hard to like, do. Yeah. So if you look at their, if you look at Disney's patents around um, self-navigating um, or autonomous droids, they tried. Um, I think the safety thing was the issue there. Right. Um, no, but I think I think. For me, like Flight of Passage, I don't agree with the story, but Galaxy's Edge just isn't fun or whimsical in the way that other lands are. And yeah, that's my that's the sort of the idea that I'm forming in my head. Right, I got to figure out how to, how to say it better, but it's not it's not a very I good could, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see. I, I think, I and mean, we've been there once. I mean, it's kind of the first time you're there. It's you're kind of just overwhelmed by it. it's awe inspiring. <laughs> but I I do see where you're coming from. There's not there isn't a ton of, yeah, that dynamic kinetic energy that you get in some right. of the other plants, especially compared to Pandora. I mean, Pandora is just so lush in, or, in the water and everything. Or compared to Universal, when you go to, when you go to see, you know, I cried. I literally cried and Joe looked at me and said, why are you crying? And I said, because somebody created this in their mind and then Universal made it real. Right. Um, I haven't had that, you know, it, as much as we're a Disney podcast, I didn't have that in Pandora or and Galaxy's Edge. So that was exactly the comparison I was making in my head with Diagon Alley, where you know you can read the 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 stuff in the shop windows, and it's funny, right? It's clever. It's mm-hmm. there's wordplay in there, right? Um, and it's super detailed. But where's the same sense of fun that's in Diagon Alley in Galaxy's Edge? It's just not there. It's just not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like Disney has an opportunity to do that if they ever built like a Zootopia land, because I feel like there's a playfulness yeah. with that that they could definitely work in there, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily exist in any other lands right now. And I'm not saying it, it, it Galaxy's Edge can't be saved, right? But it needs it needs it an overhaul, like a mini version of what DCA got mm-hmm. with Cars Land. Like we need to rethink what we're doing here. Right. Yeah. I also think uh, Millennium Falcon. I still can't forgive them for screwing up how the gunner position works because it's <laughs> it's not how the actual Millennium Falcon works, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what is your favorite? I'm gonna. This is a two prong question. So, your favorite restaurant in the park, and then maybe your favorite restaurant in like the hotels. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, I'll give you uh, I'll give you a counter service. My favorite counter service, like if I had to eat it for the every day for the rest of my life, would probably be uh, Tangerine Cafe in Morocco in Epcot, which is currently closed in, uh, because there's nobody in, in Epcot. Um, but it's Moroccan food; it's delicious. They ha- actually have the best uh, tabbouleh I think that I've ever had, made by actual Moroccans. 
um, which is fantastic. Yeah, so you get like the combination platter with the lamb and the chicken and the pita bread and the tzatziki sauce. Sounds really good. Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, Sit downs. You know, I was talking, I was stuck in the Enchanted Tiki Room line with, with a bunch of cast members last week. And we all thought at the same time, like everybody was hungry. And I think somebody suggested, you know, Boma's not open, but we should go to Boma. Like mm-hmm. I am totally down for Boma anytime. I think, <laughs> I think the thing with, with Boma is they do everything so well. Like the meats are good. The sides are good. And then when you're done eating, cause it's a buffet, you can go back to your room and nap. Yeah. Which That's- makes it. It's funny. We talked to Curtis Stone from um, the Geeking on the, the Walt Geeking Disney on, World podcast. Yeah, and he said the exact same thing. Boma. We've not been to Boma yet. Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah. I mean, so Animal Kingdom, uh, the Animal Kingdom Lodge in, in Kidani have three of the top five rated restaurants, according to the official guide, um, in Sanaa, Jiko, and Boma. So if you are if you like food, um, that's definitely where to go. Yeah, it, we've been to Sanaa. I've not, not had a chance to go to Boma, though. No, Boma's... Uh, Boma's... And Jico is Jico's. So the thing with Jico is fine dining. I would stick to appetizers and desserts. Like, don't get an entree. I think the okay. the, the interesting stuff there is appetizers. So get mm. a few of those. You know, so you obviously start off with appetizers, but then order more appetizers as your main course, and then yeah. go go to dessert. I think the, I'm always a fan of doing that because I think yeah. that a lot of times you get more for your money. You can try more, exactly. which I like. Yeah, no, and totally. then and I'm definitely I am definitely a dessert person too. So if I could go and yeah. kind of Try a lot of things and then skip right to dessert. I'm I'm a happy person. Yeah, so that's a I think that's a great idea. Totally totally do that and let me know how, how it works out. I mean, Victorian Alberts is really good too. It's just super expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. What's uh, your favorite hotel to stay at if you do stay on property? Laura, <sighs> well, I just had this conversation. Um, my sentimental favorite, and I've always said it, is the Polynesian. I like the theming. I think it's immersive. Um, the restaurants are good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have easy access to the Grand Floridian, which has other excellent restaurants as well. So walking distance is good. Um, my second choice would be Wilderness Lodge, strictly for the theming and the the public spaces. Like the, obviously, I love the architecture. I think the background music there is exceptional. By the way, if you do the Disney Cruise, which you should, and you go to Alaska, um, uh-huh. they play the Wilderness Lodge background music on it. Oh, so okay. Pacific Northwest thing. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's not Jimmy Buffett all the time on the Disney <laughs> um, Yeah, but I think Wilderness Lodge, and the other thing too is, I mean, Wilderness Lodge rooms, the uh, the the new, uh, the most recent refurbishments plus the Copper Creek cabins are some of the best rooms on Disney property. So my first is probably the Poly. My second is probably Wilderness Lodge. Sounds oh, that sounds great. We we need to go stay there. We should totally um, stay there. Yeah. And then what is your fi- favorite time of year to visit the parks? I know you're there all the time, but what's your favorite? When it's not hot. <laughs> yeah. So now it's kind of miserable. Uh, like the heat index yesterday in the, in the Magic Kingdom was 106 in the shade. Not, not, not making that up. That's um, awful. I like, like November, December, January, November through March this year were really good in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of temperature. Um, you know, I, for me, a perfect day is like a high of 75 mm-hmm. where I can wear a long sleeve shirt and not melt and maybe pants, you know, instead of shorts. I think that's sort of my thing. So, you know, uh, off season, the downside is, is that, um, it's, uh, it gets darker earlier. So yeah. things in the animal kingdom close earlier. Um, you know, Tom Sawyer Island closes earlier. It's kind of a downside to that, but, um, 
yeah, but in general, I'll, I'll take the cooler weather over um, less daylight most times. So like November is good for me. Yeah, I think we just visited in November this past year and we enjoyed it. I thought it was really nice and it was it was like the temperature was really beautiful. It was a yeah. nice break from it being cold where we live. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been I've been in Florida like when I um, when I've run the Disney Marathon in January, you know, where my daughter wants to go swimming and it's literally twenty eight degrees outside or whatever, forty <laughs> degrees. Like that's super cold. That's that's a little that's a bit much. Right. Um, but yeah, cooler weather. I, I'll generally prefer cooler weather to warmer weather. Right, well, great, and and Len, again, we appreciate yeah, uh, you, you being so on the much. show. Thank you, uh, I think we've already mentioned Disney Dish podcast. We've mentioned touring plans. Anything else you'd like to promote or, or mention? Uh, there's always the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World. So we're working on the uh, the 2021 edition now. We'd started working on it in March, and obviously everything changed. So we're uh, we're working on the new updates now. Should be out, I think, end of the year. Okay, that's awesome. Great. Yeah, go pick that up. Yeah, All right, we appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, Len. Thank well, you. Thank you guys. All right, so I want to thank Len again for that uh, terrific interview. It was really great. If thank you, yeah, if you enjoyed that, and you want to again hear more from Len. Check him out on the Disney Dish podcast uh, over there. He's really great. Or be sure to check out you know touring plans or the unofficial guide whenever you're planning your next trip. Um, I know probably not a lot of people are maybe planning trips right now, <laughs> um, but you know for next year or something, if you're looking at a trip, definitely be sure to check out both of those guides. Want to yeah, thank Len's so smart, so I would definitely trust him to. <laughs> to plan my trip and help me plan my trip. I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. Make sure you leave us a rating or a review. Uh, that's really a great way uh, to help the podcast, help us reach a you know a larger audience um, by just leaving a rating or or a review wherever you get your podcast. So yeah, make sure it, you subscribe. It just helps the it helps them to to boost us. Uh, and again, you know, be sure to uh, head over to Facebook. We're Enchanted Ears on Facebook. We have the new uh, Facebook group over there as well. So be sure to uh, like and join uh, both of those. So uh, thanks, everybody, again, for listening. Thanks for letting us your ears. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.